Billy Piper, Patrick Lacey, S.E. Howard, Waylon Jordan, and Jeremy Herbert. Five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. Now, their tales of vacation terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyesnik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert. Worst Laid Plans. Now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take. <laughs> Welcome to Dead Headspace, now a part of the Silver Shamrock Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. Speaking of which, the next one, uh, episode three, comes out April 1st. That will be with a first-time guest host, uh, Well-Red Beard. He'll be joining me, Brennan, and Ken McKinley, where we dissect and generally talk about Ron Kelly, um, his fear is magnum opus from Zebra. I like the way you phrased it, so it sounds like we're talking about Ronald Kelly's fears, like what he's afraid of. <laughs> I liked how you said you're going to dissect Ron Kelly. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see that one. <laughs> Live on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get some more likes and hits. Uh, you know, I got to go viral, so right, kill a... Kill a classic horror author. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Ghana, and all other major platforms, which now includes YouTube. That's right. You can now watch your favorite episodes, including this one, by searching for Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And we have returning co-host, Erica Robbins. Say hi, Erica. Hey, guys. And the lovely author of many, many books, uh, Tim Levin. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, Daylight Savings. It's uh, it's a bitch. <laughs> we were saying before recording, uh, fucking Benjamin Franklin. He screwed us from the grave. <laughs> it's worked out fine today. Don't worry. I've got my <laughs> coffee. I'm ready. I'm good to go. You know what, though? I, I've learned something. You know, it's a learning experience because I did not realize. I thought countries either did it or didn't. I didn't realize that there were staggers throughout the world where, you know, we um, in the United States, we, we've done it today, uh, March 14th. And uh, you don't do it in Wales until March 28th. Is that right? Yeah, two weeks time. I had to check that actually when you when we were talking about it on Twitter, you know, Messenger. But yeah, I was just two weeks time. 
Which makes wow. no sense whatsoever. No, no. It makes less sense than a system that already made no sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was talk last year of um, of just having uh, summertime all year round because of lockdown, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it was that was probably even too more, even, you know, too complex to for the, our government to sort out. Yeah. And I think you know, whenever somebody tries to explain the meaning behind daylight savings and this time the staggered rollout, I, you know, the answer just is it's crops. You know, that's yeah. that's why you guys do it the 28th, because of crops. Yeah, apparently so. Apparently, I, I think ours is a hangover from the war, I think, when um, World War Two, when it was done so that, yeah, farmers could get their crops in later in the evenings. I don't know if that's apocryphal, but it's, it's quite a cool story, really. We can make up yeah. better ones, I'm sure. And then you got then you got there's an anthology. <laughs> that's actually yeah, that that'd be pretty neat. Then you got New Year's uh celebrations, which it's different in China. I don't know of any other year, so uh, you know, it's all it's all weird. And the if you think about it, it's kind of strange that we all celebrate I mean uh, not celebrate, use the same calendar, the Gregorian calendar, um, because we're talking about, you know, major changes um in the year and the calendar is one thing that we share, so that's at least we got that going on. Oh, I, it it would be fun to mix that up as well, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> just like just like currency, like when I'm trying to buy a book directly from an author in different countries, I'm like, well, thank God there's a conversion rate uh, converter yeah. built into the app. Otherwise, I'd I'd probably pay way too much. They would say anything. <laughs> Tim, what got you into horror? Oh, blimey. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can answer this actually. It's the Rats by James Herbert. So um, when I was a kid, single digit kid, I was I'd read a lot of books, um, uh, and uh, my favourite was uh, a series of books by Willard Price, kids writer. They were adventure novels, and they um, probably not very PC now. It was about two brothers, Hal and can't remember the other guy, and they travel around the world collecting animals for their father's zoo. So it was cannibal adventure, volcano adventure, lion adventure. And I loved those books. Um, and when I was maybe 10 or 11, my mother gave me The Rats to Read by James Herbert. She was a very liberal-minded mum, bless her. She, you know, she got me into reading, and then with The Rats, she got me into horror. and never really looked back. Um, so I read The Rats, and probably after that, carried on reading a bit of kids' fiction, you know, Willard, more Willard Price. But... Um, James Herbert led to Stephen King, led to Clive Barker. Um, and for a couple of years, it was like, oh, there can't be any any people as good as these. So I just read Stephen King and Herbert again and again and again. And then uh, a year or two later, maybe when I was you know in my teens, I started reading loads of other stuff and it all the whole wonderful world of horror opened up then. So I, I blame the rats for getting me into horror and I'd like to thank them very much. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon or Erica, I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on that no i mean that's it it, that journey rings true you know discovering uh certain authors whether you know for you it's james herbert and uh stephen king you know for me i would call it rl stein and stephen king and just thinking that's all there is uh until the world just blooms and you're like oh that's not even close and i don't care how long i live i'll never catch up um i'll never read all the tim levin books there are (laughs) but um no that's that's I, I love that idea that there's always more out there that, you know, and depressing as it is that 
no matter how long you live, you'll never get to read all the quality stuff that's that's being put out by different authors now, uh, yeah. even in just within one genre. Totally. It can be depressing, as, especially when you're at advanced years like me, because see the books behind me. I've, I've read 50% of them. <laughs> buying habit is worse than my reading habit. It's, uh, you know, I buy far more books than I read, and I just love owning them. And I know I won't read them all, which is a bit grim, really. <laughs> Unless uh, I think 50. I hope so. Um <laughs> My wife and I enjoyed going to estate sales and yard sales, you know, in the before times. And uh, I remember we were checking out this old house. And two things I look for is, well, three. I look for uh, books, CDs, and vinyl records. And um, there was this one room. It had to be an elderly group, like, couple or whatever. They had lots of books. And I was just going through them, and I'm like, this is probably going to be one, me one day. Just some some <laughs> dead guy and a shitload of books that the kid doesn't know what to do with. Yeah. It's crossed my mind, you know. I mean, my I'm, I'm the biggest reader in my family. And, you know, if anything happened to me, it would be like, they'd come in this room and just say, let's just get somebody in. Because <laughs> you know, what's worth something and what isn't, you know. I was... Uh... I really like history books, so I found this one thick one from the seventies, I think, and it's uh, Hitler's spies. And I, I really, I'm like a lot of people, I'm drawn to that war and that guy in particular because he documented everything. So it's just, it, it's crazy still, like that everything involved in that, and and you got so many books on it, and I still think there's probably so much more material you could do with it. Um, this is a weird jump, but did you happen to see Jojo Rabbit? No, I haven't seen that. I mean, uh, yeah, people recommend that to me a lot, and uh, it's on my list, but no. Did, I seen it, yeah. Have you guys seen it, Eric or Brian? So no. basically, okay, so basically it's this uh, little German kid. He's very much so into Hitler, and his best friend is uh, imaginary Hitler. And he's always telling him to do all these crazy things. And uh, long story short, he there's this Jewish girl being stowed away in uh, his house and his mother is keeping it quiet. And he wants to rat when he finds out, he wants to rat them out to make his invisible friend happy because he wants to be Hitler's best friend. And it sounds fucked up and it is. But that's the whole point. And eventually starts changing his mind. And he I think he ends up kind of like in a kid way falling in love with the girl. Um, and then Hitler starts getting all mad and then he acts like a little kid cause he's not getting his way. It, it, it's the content, the idea sounds crazy, but it's really good. It gets touching. Um, it's a new light in that kind of topic, that era. So I'm curious, you, you've, and again, this is another weird jump, but you've written in a lot of, you've played in a lot of other people's playgrounds. Yeah. Have you, have you found it? more intimidating or more enthralling and intriguing that you can do something new with something that's been done quite a few times, such as Star Wars, Hellboy, or any of the other novelization um, adaptations that you've done? Yeah. Well, I always try and do something. Uh, I think that the aim is always to try and do something new. If it's an original novel in another, in another playground, you know, sometimes I've done novelizations and movies which for which I'm sent a screenplay and 
uh, told to turn it into a novel. So I do scene by scene then, and I, but I still add new stuff in to try and make it more exciting for me and more interesting for me to do sometimes more interesting for the reader. There's stuff like, um, when I did 30 days of night, I did the, which was a weird one. Cause it's a, it's a novel of a screenplay of a, of a comic. So that's yeah. a whole weird thing. I wrote, novel, I wrote the novel of the screenplay, which I, I enjoyed doing, but I thought they missed the trick. Like why, why don't the vampires stalk a polar bear? The polar bear is like the most vicious land predator we've got on the planet. Um, and they and there should have been one wandering into Barrow and the vampires stalk it and toy with it and play with it like like a cat with a mouse. So I wrote that whole extra scene in the book for a bit of fun. But um, if it's an original novel like my Star Wars novel and the Hellboy stuff, obviously you just want to try and make it a bit different and try and make it um, unintentionally. It comes out as a, a Tim Levin novel in the Star Wars universe. And my Star Wars novel was fairly grim had had some cuss words in which i was really torn a new one for by some fans there's no swearing in the star wars universe um but yeah i just and for me to to make it fun i try and um make it a bit make stuff a bit different but you can't sometimes you can't make it too different because you get reined back in then you know my my hellboy had a prehensile tail and i i was told he didn't so i had to cut that bit I didn't even thought of this. Star Wars uh, doesn't have swearing in the entire universe. Come on, you got people enslaving other races. Like, I, I, at the very least, say they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> I didn't even go that far, to be honest. I think um, so. My main character in my Star Wars novel was um, uh, a woman called Lenore Brock. Lenore is an anagram of Eleanor, my daughter's name. Oh. Brock, second name of a good mate, um, used to live in my village. So um that's ten that's where i tend to come up with names from so she was a real sort of tough um uh, so my the star wars thing i wrote was twenty five thousand years before uh new hope it was the first novel in the timeline it was dawn of the jedi so she was a she was like a a jedi in training sort of but she was hard as well you know and she called people bastards and and um uh one one alien called her a bitch so she decapitated him that sort of shit and uh yeah i i was really my, my editor even my editor at the time was mm, don't know about this but it's in character so we left it in and some some fans read it and didn't really like the idea that that star wars characters would swear i mean han solo would swear holy shit all the time and who knows what yeah. <laughs> yeah hey that's true what if he was british Mm. I'm not going to say the word that we're all thinking because I'd probably get, <laughs> you know, shit for it. But you can, Tim. And then I'll say it to repeat you. <laughs> you know what, though? that's a, That sounds, uh, you know, very PG-13. I think you could get away with that, you know, especially uh, where everything has to be, you know, at least movie and TV adaptations are always kind of going for that dark and gritty nowadays. Um, you know, I wonder with, um, I forget what year. Deadpool came out the first one but you know everybody else kind of saw that as oh maybe we can make something with uh well-known you know intellectual property rated R and it'll still do well you know obviously Disney kind of picking up Star Wars is, is gonna quell that but I wonder if we eventually would have gotten uh some sort of like R-rated uh Star Wars adaptation otherwise be interesting to see you know Mandalorian had 
had potential there, really, didn't it? Um, for to go that way, man, it was it was a spaghetti western in space, really, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. and and you know what, it does a lot of that. Um, I don't know if I'd even call it hard PG thirteen, but you know, even remembering to one of the first episodes where this guy gets just you know a cut in half by a door or something like that. I I don't necessarily believe you need to go R in order to make something that's a little bit more um, adult friendly. Um, mm. But it's you know certainly interesting to see how you can tiptoe on that boundary. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Star Wars, is that Yoda for audio listeners? I believe he has a Yoda with a hat on. I do, yeah. Holy shit, that's a big stuff. <laughs> He's a plush Yoda. There he is. <laughs> mm. What was the first novelization adaptation that you've written? Novel adaptation. I said that weird. Novelization. The first one I did was. Yeah. Um, uh, oh. Ooh, blimey. <laughs> I should know this. It was either it was either the first original Hellboy novel I did. Um, Unnatural Selection, or it was Cabin in the Woods. I think it was Unnatural Selection, the first sort of uh, tie-in property I did. But the first novelization of a script was Cabin in the Woods, which didn't come out for like two years after I'd written it. Oh, uh, you know what? Actually, I know you did Cabin in the Woods. I really liked that movie. It that was, a, that was a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a Marmite movie. That's what we call it over here. People love it or hate it, and I, I loved it. I thought it was great fun. It, it fucked around with all the tropes and horror, and it just was a bloodbath. And yeah. you can realistically have like twenty of those movies, and it's going to be different every. Well, I mean, if it didn't end the way it ended in the first yeah. in the movie, yeah, yeah, that's it. And we still I'm, get spinoffs, though, for sure. Like with all the other groups or parties, like I would be into that. That's my favorite horror movie. So, yeah. oh. <laughs> They they jump, jump in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they could certainly do a series and, mm-hmm. um, you know, each episode's based in a different country with a different, uh, you know, the different gods they're trying to appease. That would be fun. I really like the, the one in, I forget what country, but the Asian one where the little girls are dancing around. Oh, yeah. I was terrified. <laughs> Asian horror for me is the creepiest horror. They just nail it. Yeah. Um, Ring, based off of Ring You, for those who haven't seen it, that the first Ring was that still creeps me out to this day. The second one, me and my friends were laughing at. <laughs> we saw that in theaters because it was a bit silly. Ring was the one where the the sort of demon comes out of the TV, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, the the original was terrifying because it was actually. It was actually an actress coming out of a TV screen and doing all the twitching and stuff. But the American remake, which I seem to remember being pretty good, I think they sort of CGI'd that bit, and it wasn't quite as scary. <laughs> you, you know that it's definitely dated though, because if a kid like I don't know what age, but if a teen, I guess, sees a VHS now, they'll they'll more than likely be like. It's this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you play it? <laughs> yeah, you're not going to have any way to play that. <laughs> yeah. I, in my little guy's one right now, so by the time he's a teenager, he's probably going to be... I, I got... I'm not even speaking in hyperbole. I'm, I've got over 800 CDs. <laughs> I can't imagine what he's going to be like. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on YouTube. <laughs> but by the time he's grown up, CDs will be back in. 
So I, I stream my music now, but I, I've got hundreds and hundreds of CDs in a box in the attic because I refuse to get rid of them. Yeah. So I've just got my old, unfortunately, I sold some vinyl, but I've just got a load of my old vinyl out and bought a record player because I just love playing records, you know? What do you mainly collect, or is it just a whole, uh, is it a whole bunch of everything? Music-wise? Yeah, music-wise. Oh, I'm, I'm rock through and through, but as I get older, I listen to all sorts of other stuff. I mean, I, um, uh, my favorite at the moment is Frank Turner and the Sleeping mm -hmm. Souls. Frank's amazing. Um, uh, Christ, I've seen Metallica and Anthrax and, and, uh, my first my first gig in 1984 was Saxon, British British metal band, um, Motorhead, who are a big favourite. ACDC. I've just bought tickets to see um, Skunk and Nancy in uh, in the UK in April 2022. So that's like looking ahead. Um, yeah, music with balls. I like uh, you know rock music or. Um, I'll listen to Mumford and Sons and stuff like that, but I prefer the sort of faster stuff. Oh, okay. I got a CD yesterday, actually, um, from a band from North Yorkshire. I don't know if I said that right in England. Uh, Asking Alexandria. Right. They are, they are pretty... I don't know. If you like rock and metal, that's a band to go to. Yeah. Um, guys, why don't you... I'm, I'm kind of babbling on. Why don't you guys take me away? <laughs> Actually, I want to bring us back to novelizations real quick, specifically ones that are, you know, tie-ins to a movie. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, what's when you write that, what's your target audience? Is it people who've seen the movie and want to relive it through the book? People who want to read that first and then go to the movie? What, what are you kind of, I guess, told uh, to write for? Um, I'm told different things by for different properties like um but usually it's quite a wide remit and i i just i've never done a tie-in thing for projects i'm not interested in so i've never done um like a hannah montana novel or anything <laughs> like that but i've done you know hell the hellboy stuff and alien and predator i'm a my my dream job was writing an alien novel most people would think it's writing a star wars novel and that was a good job because the money was great and I'm a Star Wars fan, but for me, it was always going to be, if I could write a novel set in somebody else's universe, it would be an alien novel. So I got the opportunity to write an alien novel with Ripley in it, with, with a slight problem, because Fox wanted it set between <clears throat> between Alien and Aliens. Obviously, in Aliens, Ripley doesn't remember having another alien adventure, so I had a slight, slight wrinkle to get around there, but... Um, but for me, that was just, I just wanted it to feel like an alien novel, but also feel like a, you know, my own sort of stamp on the universe. Um, so I, I don't really, I, I guess, I guess I don't really sit and think about who I'm writing this for. I think, oh, I'm writing an alien novel. I'm just going to write the story I'd really love to see on the screen, for instance, that sort of thing. You know, I don't think about, don't really think about the audience unless, um, publisher or property owners sort of say stuff to me, but they're, they're not. They're really specific with it. Then, you know, like my, like back to the Star Wars thing. They didn't say, right, you're writing a Star Wars novel. It's got to be for um, a young age group. They just said, write me a Star Wars novel, and I and I <clears throat> did. You know, and it was possibly more a little more gritty than they were they were expecting, but they they loved it and it was, it was well received. You know, there were not many people that didn't like the fact that it was 
darker and grittier. There was lots of decapitations. It was it was a pretty violent book. Um, and strangely enough, um, I hadn't read a lot. Of, I hadn't read any of the other Star Wars novels at the time, which my editor probably would not want me to say, but it was years ago. Um, <laughs> so the, the people doing the audio book of the Star Wars novel got in touch with me and said, we're so pleased to be doing this because it's a really strong female lead. And I was like, well, there must be other, you know, Leia and there's other strong female characters. But they said, no, the novels, it's like the ma your main characters are, a, you know, a strong female lead. And it's been an absolute pleasure to record it. So I guess that's a bit of a, if I, if I had known the whole, all the other books, um, maybe that wouldn't have happened. I don't know, really. I just wanted to make it my own sort of dark fantasy novel set in the Star Wars universe, really. Plus, you, plus your daughter's ebbed into the. She's just a part of it now. She, your daughter is a part of the Star Wars canon because of you. Yes, yeah, uh, she canon. Yeah, yeah. How cool is that, man? The, yeah, and I imagine that you were into the original trilogy when it came out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched. I've watched all the movies. You know, and there's a, a law of diminishing returns for me, but the first three are still classics. When I say the first three, I mean episode four, five, and six. <laughs> Brent, I cut you off, but I want to return to the original trilogy if you guys don't mind after. Uh, no, I was just going to point out for audio listeners, because we were just talking about writing novelizations uh, and tie-ins to Alien, that uh, Tim has a face hugger sneaking up behind him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, so my, my original question was, um, you know, what's your target audience and what i what i was kind of wondering is you know you mentioned earlier when you were writing the novelization for 30 days of night that you saw an opportunity and put a scene in there and i was wondering do you ever get any you know f like negative feedback and flack for doing stuff like that because like personally when i I, I don't often read novelizations but when i do and it's just you know scene by scene of the movie like I, I kind of almost like it when there's deleted scenes or there's, you know, very slightly different interpretations, just something to uh, switch up that experience from watching it on screen. Yeah. Well, that, that makes it more interesting for me to write, to be honest, and more fun. And also I try, I, I sort of hope that that would make it more interesting for the reader, because if a reader's going to a novelization of a movie, expecting just to read scene by scene of the movie, what's the point? It's like, mm. It's like the, the the Psycho remake, you know, what's the point? It's scene by scene, apart from a, a wanking scene in the shower, you know. Vince Vaughn, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, so some, so the, the, the example you gave, the 30 Days of Night, I just, like I said before, I just thought that that was a, a trick they missed. Interestingly, me putting that scene in led in a very roundabout way to me and Chris Golden writing a trilogy of Jack London novels for HarperCollins and getting a movie deal with Fox. <laughs> because over a table, over a meal one day, I was talking about the 30 Days of Night thing. And uh, I mentioned the polar bear thing. And uh, somebody said, oh, um, uh, I said, yeah, vampire polar bears. And Chris said, we can totally do that. And I said, yeah, we'll call it White Fangs. And that went from that little throwaway line to us writing a trilogy. So as well as making it more interesting for the reader and writer, it can also lead to new book deals. <laughs> but, That's yeah. part of the blood of the four? No, that was um, The Secret Journeys of Jack London. Oh, okay, my yeah. apologies. Which um, uh, we wrote for HarperCollins. Actually, they only published the first two, but we had to write the third book because we'd sold it in a couple of other countries, and uh, it's we made it available on Kindle. Vagaries of the publishing business, yeah. <laughs> But but also other other times, um, 
like when I wrote the novelization of Kong Skull Island, I I finished the novelization and realized mm, it's a bit short. So, so I added another monster attack in there just to, <laughs> to sort of make, make it more novel length. Um, but who, who doesn't want another monster attack in their Kong book, you know? Oh, right. Oh, just yeah. have them all. Absolutely. Do you guys have anything else, on Brennan or Erica, on this subject before we jump back to the original Star Wars? No, if you, if you want to steer us, uh, take the wheel, Captain. Yeah, because, I mean, who doesn't love it? Um, my dad used to bring me to the movies as a kid all the time. Uh, the next town over, there's a little six, I think it was six uh, screen th- uh, cinema. And 96 or 97, I'm pretty sure, one of those dates, they were reissuing the original trilogy and the first one that was near me was the empire strikes back right and i saw that and i was like it's like some dynamite went off in my head like what what is this (laughs) and uh i remember i was in the second grade and uh i talked about whenever the next day a class was in and it may have ruined that uh, Luke is the brother of Leia and the son of Darth Vader for at least one girl who oh, that's great. S- seemed to not like me from that point on throughout high school. <laughs> that's a bad spoiler, though. That's a bad spoiler. Yeah, that's. It's, I'm showing my age now because I saw them originally in. I saw Star Wars in seventy, I think seventy eight. It was actually in the pictures in the cinema here. I saw the original, and going back to see the re, uh, the re released version in the cinema was just still that opening scene where the, the destroyer comes across and keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. I remember watching it with a massive shiver down my spine and a big smile on my face. It was epic seeing that in the cinema again. It's just so cool. I mean, he did something. He He's like, this is why sci-fi is cool. This is how it can be awesome. And and going back to Han Solo, like a guy like him would totally swear and do a lot of crazy shit that wouldn't be PG thirteen. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, can yeah. sorry, go ahead, Brent. Sorry, I was just going to say, there's got to be a market for uh, uh, adult Star Wars novels like Han Solo. Yeah, <laughs> no, he, he shot first as well. We all know that, and you know. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, I'm just thinking about that. I've got to email my my Star Wars editor now. Yeah, just called oh. it first, and it's about Han having his uh, his gnarly adventures. <laughs> and you could write the sequel, Han or however you want to pronounce it, Han in his hand. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Subtitle: Winky Face. So let's go to uh, the the silence because that was the first introduction for me to anything related to your work and. I love that movie so much, man. It was uh, it was really neat, and I I did see that there was talks of uh, people reaching out to you, being like, "Have you seen a Quiet Place?" And you're like, "Yeah, you see." Fucking hell, yeah. Uh, yeah even <laughs> even through the text, you could be like, "This guy." Maybe I'm a pain in the ass for bringing it up, but even through the text, thinking as a writer, I'd be like, "Yeah, I've fucking seen it. Don't talk to me about it." Like, it that was a weird thing. You know, so I was, I was actually on set in uh, in a little town north of Toronto when, uh, with, with um, Robert Colzer from um, Constantine and and the producers and the director, and we just standing around having a coffee and a chat. And one of them said, "Have you seen this uh, this new movie that's out soon called Quiet Place?" It's like no, and that that's when we sort of heard about this thing rearing its head and what was happening. And the the truth is. Um, there was a lot of comparison 
at the time. And that didn't do me any harm at all. It didn't do my novel or the film of the silence any harm. Because so many, you know, there was a lot of stuff on online when uh, it's all pre-publicity about the silence, when people say, no, it's just a quiet place ripoff. Every time that happens, somebody <laughs> jump on. Not me, because I, I had to stay away from this sort of stuff. Yeah. Legally, you know. But people would jump on and say, no, Tim's novel was written two years, uh, you know, f- uh, four years ago. And, and, uh, and the, the films were genuinely in production at the same time. It's just, it happens, you know, an idea in the zeitgeist. And it's, it's quite a high concept idea, creatures that hunt by sound. But once you think that idea, you can go, you know, and it only takes two people to think that idea, which did happen. And then oh, two movies came up from it. So it it's, was, it's a bit frustrating, not even frustrating. It's a bit, um, I suppose, annoying more than anything that, that, that another movie came out with the same idea. But it, it was just a coincidence. And it happens all the time. You see movies. You know, there were two volcano movies out one year, and there were two <laughs> movies out one year. Um, there were two Winston Churchill movies out a couple of years ago, and it, it just it, it and yeah, it just two, happened. Two Steve Jobs movies that came yeah. out within a few yeah. years, and unfortunately, um, it's like no matter how, no matter how hard you beat your head against the wall, or how hard your fans beat their heads against the wall in your defense. It, the general public society just kind of looks at it and says, whichever one came first or whichever one, you know, hit harder. Um, you know, I always think of when that John Carter movie came out um, like 10 years ago and bombed. Uh, so many people are like, oh, it just looks like a ripoff of Star Wars. It's like, OK, except it's based on novels that were written, you know, 60 yeah. years before Star Wars yeah. <laughs> that Star Wars ripped off. Um, it's it's just kind of the matter of which one hits first and then people get that idea stuck in their head. That's you know, what happened. You know, there were there was lots of, um, oh, my God, Netflix is just jumping on the Quiet Place band. <laughs> you know, the silence was wrapped at the same time or roughly the same time as a Quiet Place. And it's it's just a, exactly what you said, Brennan. It's, I think, Quiet Place hit much harder. It's the better known film. Um, and that's why the silence is seen as a, a poor knockoff, but it isn't the silence. If a quiet place hadn't happened, I think the silence would have taken off a lot more than it did to be honest, unfortunately, but, um, it's a, it's a I'm film. I, I think it's a great movie. Um, I'm a, I'm a dead corpse in the film. So I, what could be cooler? Eh? You've got to really pause, hit the pause button really quickly to see my bloody corpse on the floor, but I'm there. Yeah. He steps right over you, right? The main, that's I- it. Stanley Tucci stepped over me, yeah. <laughs> um, that was fun. So it reminds me of when I hear people say the the cover by Nine Inch Nails, a Johnny Cash cover, and I'm like, that's a that's hurts not a Johnny Cash song. No. He he did a cover like twelve years later, something like that, like 10, 12 years later <laughs> after Nine Inch Nails. So basically, you're Trent Reznor, my friend. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, that's a nice save. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the experience like working on the silence? Because that was it's it's really cool. Like as a as a guy before seeing um, or being introduced to the independent scene, and I, I don't really know what to call you. You're like a hybrid because you self publish. You've worked with traditional publishers. You worked with indies, and uh, I. I'm just for the sake of this specific point, I'm just going to call you an indie author. I know that's not true, but I don't know what else to say. Hybrid Tim, maybe. Uh, but I just call myself a working writer. 
You know, I started. There we go. I started in the indie press. I started in the small press over here, which was um, little uh, magazines hand printed in people's houses and then folded and stapled and posted to your door with a five pound check if you were lucky for your story. You know, I started with that sort of stuff and and then um, discovered the indie press in the States like 18, 20 years ago with Nightshade and Cemetery Dance and Subterranean and worked with all them. And I still I still work with the indie press occasionally now. And as you say, I've self-published a bit. Um, but yeah, I call myself a working writer. I write for a living, so I do stuff that I love love doing and earns money that's the balance you've got to take you know yeah oh that's awesome i didn't let's let's go back to that in a minute but um as far as the working writer stuff goes you adam neville and josh mallerman you guys all hit it big with i i say big i know that's different for different people but you guys all had very all, all three movies were were successful they were yeah. on netflix and they give writers like me currently not really well known um to really anyone and i'm like that could be me or one of my friends one day and it, it gives us you know us hope so appreciate yeah. that yeah um, in the before the silence happened I, I had another movie before the silence pay the ghost with nicholas cage but that wasn't um you know that that's that still rears its head every halloween it's a good fun halloween film I had nothing to do. You, you asked me the experience about the silence. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I was told I had a dream experience with the silence, a dream Hollywood experience. The movie was made four years after the book was out, and that's unheard of. You know, most movies are in gestation for 10 years. Um, everyone I met, I, I was involved in the screenplay, not officially, but I was, I, I sort of, I chat to the director all the time and the writers. Uh, they flew me out to set killed me on set um actually i was killed previous but i was dead on set uh you, you look know, great for a corpse yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't credited either i was really pissed off i wasn't in the credits um that's weird and they didn't pay me but uh for being a corpse but you know i'm still friends with the director leonetti i'm still friends with uh, robert colza the guy it's constantine great guy and um uh, alexandra the producer uh, and you know, it was a, just a wonderful experience beginning to end. Um, but what I was going to say is before before that happened, I was somebody hope, you know, I was someone like a lot of writers just, oh, God, I hope it would be lovely if that happened one day. And then just suddenly it did. And it's um absolutely incredible experience. Happened to anyone, you know. That's great, man. Uh, now, I'm going to show my ignorance here, but you said Constantine. Were you talking about the show or the movie with Keanu Reeves? No, I'm on about the um, it's the film company, German film company, Constantin. They're, they're, they're the film <laughs> company behind, behind the silence. So they, these guys Never made... Never mind. All, that's right. They made all the Resident Evil films, and um, and they've got loads of... You know, they're great, great production, great film company. That was an interesting series to watch unfold, because the first Resident Evil, that was just creepy. It's really good. The second one started to get silly, and Mike Epps just adds this... Comedic flavor to it that not a lot of comedians can, and yeah, and then it just turned into like, all right, let's just get popcorn because it's gonna get silly, fun, and very gory. <laughs> That's it, and they, I think they're relaunching it. I'm pretty sure Constantine are doing a launch in Resident Evil. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh my. What? And why? <laughs> um, Brennan, there's Eric, money to be made, man. Take that. the lead. Yeah, why uh, not? <laughs> 
No, okay, yeah, I'll take you it. know. I was gonna say let's let's uh, run, walk, or crawl to run, walk, crawl. <laughs> yeah. You like that segue? I like that's a good one. Yeah, it's, a, it's it might be the worst one actually. It's <laughs> but let's go anyway. Um, so what? Let, let's kind of start out with you know you you had this journey to get fit in your forties, and the big thing that stuck out to me, and you mention it throughout the book is finding something that you love that you can, that coincides with a way to stay healthy. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you could kind of talk to that a little bit and also how that ties into you wanting to write this book and share it with the world. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, um, through my 20s and 30s, I was, I was never super unfit or never largely overweight but I was quite unfit and a little bit overweight. And I'd always try and I'd always try and address that by joining a gym or starting running or going out on a bike ride. But I was always doing those things with the intention of getting fit and losing weight. And that's why I'm, I'm sure that's why it never worked. And I always said to an old, old friend of mine, a, a guy who used to be my boss when I worked, when I worked for a living, um, that I always thought I'd have to, my, the the way the only way I'd really get fit is to find something I love doing or something that was way beyond my capabilities. So um, the first sort of big thing I did was the National Three Peaks Challenge in the UK, which is climbing the biggest mountain in England, Scotland and Wales, uh, all within 24 hours, including driving time between them. So I committed to doing that and we and with a bunch of friends and did it, trained for it and did it. And then soon after discovered triathlon which I still adore now and I still train for it and I still race now when, you know, when the world's not dead, you know, there was no races last year, but this year's races mostly are on. Um, and that's, and like you say, I found, I found a focus there. I found triathlon, which is something I love doing. And a byproduct of that is getting fitter. So it's almost like you, uh, I, for me, and I, it's probably not the same with everyone. I have got friends who run two or three times a week and hate it, but they do it to be fit. But I run and bike and swim because I love triathlon and I love training for it and I love taking part. So, and I mentioned that in the book, fitness is a byproduct of, of something you love doing. Um, not everyone can zero in on something they love, but most people do. I mean, my, um, I've got friends who play football or play squash or um, uh, my, my sister-in-law pole dances for fitness and teaches pole dancing. Um, and, and the byproduct of doing all these things they love doing is keeping fit, That's... whatever level of fitness that, that means. And I mean, I talk about that in the book as well. I, I almost feel, you know, saying I got, I got fit in my forties almost feels, or, you know, I, what I should really say is, oh, I got a bit fitter than I was in my thirties. Cause uh, I know so many people who are far fitter than me, you know, but, um, yeah, it's finding something you love, I think. Yeah, you mentioned that in the book where it doesn't have a ring to it, like run, uh, <laughs> run rocking crawl. Yeah, get, getting a bit fitter in my 40s than I was in my 30s. Yeah, the cover's not big enough for that sort of subtitle. Yeah. I I tried running so many times in my life, but I never, I don't know, maybe I'm not doing it the right way. I remember when I was in my teens and uh, I had my first breakup with my first girlfriend. Um 
my friend, one of my friends, he ran all the time. His whole family ran. And he said, just run it out. Run out the emotions. And I'm like, dude, this sucks. I hurt. It hurts everywhere. <laughs> Emotionally and physically now. <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> I think right. that's important, though. Like, I mean, that's that's a huge statement is uh, not making fitness the goal, but making it a byproduct of something you love, because it is so hard to, you know, make I want to be in shape the goal because, you know, it can, you know, when you just start out running, it, it can be miserable um, when you when you start out, you know, doing other exercises, it, it is miserable. Yeah. Um and yeah, you know, you, you mentioned the, you know, men, both the physical and mental benefits of it. And it's, it's easy to know those to, to be like, yes, I understand conceptually that I will feel better, you know, if I, you know, take care of myself better. Um, but that, that, you know, getting over that bridge is, is huge. And to hear how you just kind of fell in love with how, um, you know, the, 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 three-part nature of this you know the the swimming the biking um and i did love you know i i used to bike a bit back in the day and i've fallen out of it but i did love kind of that uh idea of um the right amount of bikes to have is however many you have plus one (laughs) so you're never gonna get there (laughs) a very quick equation yeah n plus one where n is the actual number of bikes you have Oh, can we can we can we uh, talk about that? Focus in on the the silence and how the success or the money with that got you a nice bike. I I, I know it's in the book, but maybe a, maybe a little uh, fun fun little preview for those that have potential readers, if you yeah. will. Well, you know, with 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 any film stuff, there's always you know it's going to happen or it isn't. So there's always the pressure of that and. Um, Film money can be can be you know pretty reasonable. So there's like saying to my wife, if the, if the silence happens, I'm buying myself a TT bike, a triathlon bike. If it doesn't happen, I'm not having a bike. So that it was my treat when when the deal finally closed, when they started shooting. You know, so film money generally comes in on first day of principal photography. So when they've set up on site in Toronto, my agent gets the nod that they've started shooting the first scenes. That's when we get paid. Um, so that's the day I ordered my bike. Yeah. It's far too good for me. It's a thing of beauty. I could put it on the wall and stare at it. My wife wouldn't be very happy. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm a very middle of the road, middle of the pack triathlete. I'm never going to win a race or anything. So to, to be honest, it's probably a bit too good for me, but it was a treat. It was my, yeah. When I, when I read that part where you said that you'd frame it basically, if you weren't riding it, (laughs) Yeah, it is a gorgeous thing. I'll send you guys a picture afterwards. It's, sure. It, it's like it looks like it belongs in Night Rider, you know. Um, uh, and it's it's I, I do love it. It's it's tough to ride. It's not um, especially if uh, you know the roads around here at the moment are in a bit of a state after winter. There's potholes and things, and I have fallen off it once and broke a rib. So it does. Uh, um, yeah, you got to be careful. Got to get used to it. Erica, why don't you jump in? Yeah, sorry, I was trying to multitask there. Um, I really like your comment about being like a middle of the pack kind of participant um, because I feel like books like this they can they can hit a little bit hard if it's somebody that's like you know always coming in first and like yeah. they're always best at everything. So when I was I'm only in early part two, so I've got some reading to do. But I really liked part one and how you talked about just 
starting to get fit and not focusing on losing weight exactly. Um, Because I think a lot of people get really caught up in the numbers game of it. And I see like, you know, friends struggling with that. And I'm just like, oh, you you can give them all the advice you want. But like, I loved your line about just eat healthier and find something you love to make you move more. Like that's key. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that the billion dollar weight loss industry can be summed up in in that really. Yeah, eat better, eat, better, eat less, move more, um, and th- th- that also goes back to um, what Brennan was saying about um, find. You know, when we were talking about finding something that you love to do, I think that there's a billion dollar gym industry as well that makes fifty percent of their money luring people in, saying, "Come to our gym, you'll get fit." oh yeah, and so we'll join up for a year and we go three times and get bored with it because all we're doing is going there and doing this to get fit. And then they and then they, they leave but still pay their year's membership. <laughs> a lot of these gyms that must earn, it's like airlines overbooking flights because they know not everyone will turn up to fly. You know, these gyms, if all their members turned up in one day, there they wouldn't be room. So <laughs> they, they, they pretty much, their, their business model is knowing they're going to sign up plenty of people who will never use the facilities um don't know how i got around there but yeah the the like you said erica the, the weight loss thing i wasn't i wasn't really i wasn't really exercising to lose weight i don't think it was just it just happened as a, a another byproduct of doing finding something i enjoyed doing really um lockdown hasn't been kind to me i'm not i'm the same weight now as i was at the beginning of covid but it's redistributed quite a bit <laughs> so yeah well and to erica's comment about uh how it can be tough to read a book like this with somebody who has turned themselves into a perfect phys- physical specimen who finishes every race first and yeah. leaves the mid the the middle of the road people in their dust um i would be very curious to 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 find out how many times you use the word cake in this book um <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, but, but I mean, all that to say, you yeah. know, you, you don't come in with these unrealistic expectations like, yes, you must, you know, you have to have grilled asparagus for dinner every night. Yeah. Um, and you may eat, uh, one piece of corn for breakfast. That's it. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're like, look, I'm unapologetic and I freaking love cake. So <laughs> I'm going to get back to it. So much so that I dedicate a whole chapter to it for a bit of a laugh. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, I'm. I'm in a triathlon club and the bulk of my friends in the club are a bit like me. We love doing what we do, but we also love going out on a bike ride and stopping for coffee and cake. Uh, There are some real athletes in the club who are almost pro level triathletes. You know, they've qualified for Kona um, the Ironman world champions. There's, there's uh, at least one sub nine hour Ironman in the club. And that is just mind boggling. I mean, my fastest Ironman is, just under 12 and a half hours and this guy finished can finish one in nine you know it's amazing um but most people i know do stuff like this do it so that you can eat cake <laughs> <laughs> it's uh and it's it's refueling um yeah and the the, the books like this and, and and shows or whatever with people who are prime physical specimens who always win their races Guaranteed, they always start the book saying, I'm not a really good athlete, but, you know, uh, they are really, you know, and a lot of these, a lot of the, these guys come from, um, you know, elite running backgrounds or elite cycling backgrounds. I, I come from nothing and, and, you know, no particular background and 
do it because, um, like I said, because I love it, but also it, uh, my diet's not great, but it's not terrible. What I say about my diet is I eat all the right stuff, but I also eat a lot of the wrong stuff too. So, you know, I, I did go veggie 18 months ago and I eat lots of really food that's really good for me, but I also still eat lots of food that's really bad for me and I love a beer. Um, that's why I do it. <laughs> Fellow pescatarian, I meant to bring that up. Yeah, yeah, I'm pesky, yeah, yeah. I say veggie and pescatarian, yeah. Me too, man. What did it for me was my pig. I got that pig three and a half, four years ago. Yeah. And uh, after about six months, I was like, I can't do it. She's so fucking smart. It's like eating a human. Yeah. Pigs are really Yeah. Uh, annoyingly so, where they're like, uh, I think the equivalency is a five-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Um, she'll remember things like she'll... For example, there was something we left on a dining room table, and she pulled down the the little thing that drapes on the uh, edges. And for the next few weeks, she just kept doing that because she thought there was food. <laughs> we we picked up on it eventually because uh, we're slower than her. Um, <laughs> but but the here's the thing: if you're gonna try to stay away from, I call it land meat because you know I eat seafood. I love seafood. Yeah. Um, it's not that hard. There's so many choices now, but there's a lot of wrong choices. Uh, one of my, I think it was, uh, I might be throwing my brother under the bus, but it might've been him where basically someone didn't say you're still fat, but you're chubby because <laughs> <laughs> pasta cake. Yeah. Right. There's so yeah. many things you could eat wrong. Yeah. And I do, but I eat the right things too. So I, I went veggie is a bit of an experiment. When my, my daughter, um, 18 months ago, she's 22 now, she said, oh, I'm going to try going vegetarian. I said, I'll do it with you. So she, Ellie lasted, um, you know, she's got a really good diet, but she, she veggie-wise, she lasted a few weeks. <laughs> I just carried on because, um, uh, I, like you said, I didn't find, I didn't miss the meat. And I know, and, and I sort of, uh, sorry, Mike. Oh, I just had a, a, a notification come up to say, don't forget, podcast in 15 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> for those listening we fought me and brennan fucked up on the time daylight savings is a bitch <laughs> that's okay it works out great um yeah I, and I, I think for me the, the the veggie thing's partly partly the health thing partly liking animals and partly um the environmental impact of it and and i but i always say to everyone if i really miss me i'm gonna start eating it again but so far i, I haven't really so the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, is start talking about um, how people that eat meat are doing it wrong and stuff. It's just like, shut the fuck up. If you if you got something that works for you, yeah, tell yeah. people, which is what you did, but you're not, like, making people feel bad. All three of us, you know, we're not, like, the all four of us, actually. None of us are, like, like this top fit athlete or whatever, like Erica and Brennan said, and... I think that's going to relate to uh, a lot more people than, um, say, you try to go on the Tom Brady diet, which is what avocado ice cream and uh, have a piece of pizza every three years. <laughs> Somehow still playing the NFL uh, 21 years later. Yeah. As if you're in your 20s. <laughs> like it's, yeah. 
it's not relatable, but which, by the way, I tried uh, looking at his meals for the average human, and um, they're very much so out of my price range. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a working class American that can't afford a what like a seventy ninety dollar meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that um, oh yeah, Erica? What we're me and Brandon talking a whole lot. Why don't you jump back in? Yeah, so uh, kind of also related to fitness in a, a roundabout way, but I wanted to start off by just talking about your book, Eden. Um, before I dive in with my questions, is that something that you would feel comfortable giving just like an elevator pitch about? Yeah, sure. So Eden's um, set in the near future where the climate crisis has reached tipping point and the world's um, going downhill really quickly. Uh, but humanity rises the occasion and uh creates um i think there's a dozen uh areas that they call virgin zones which are areas of the planet that we give back to nature uh they're not national parks they're not experiments they're purely large areas of the planet that we say to nature this is yours we're going to withdraw and um with the intention of these places becoming the lungs of the planet i guess and trying to save save not only uh, flora, flora, flora and fauna, but also to save the planet itself. But these areas, uh, um, even though no humans are allowed inside, not even scientists, they become attractive to certain groups of people, like adventure racers who decide that the first adventure racing team to cross Eden, which is the biggest and the oldest of these areas, uh, will gain a certain kudos. So it's about an adventure racing team going into Eden and trying trying to um, cross the area. And uh, Eden's not welcoming of humanity anymore. And stuff happens. Are you a fan of Algernon Blackwood? Oh, God, yeah. The Willows. and Yeah, yeah. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. For those that haven't read him yet, he's heavy with uh, nature pretty much. Uh, what would you call it? Like nature horror? Environmental horror? I, I guess... Um, yeah, environmental horror implies that it's it's about change, environmental change, but it's more ab- about our relationship with nature, isn't it? Uh, his his sort of stuff. Macken as well, to an extent. Arthur Macken, I'm a big fan of. Um, but yeah, Blackwood stuff's superb. Yeah, because Black, Blackwood... I, I don't know about the other author you just mentioned. I haven't heard of him before, I'll admit. But uh, Blackwood was before Lovecraft too, which is kind of... We kind of use Lovecraft as a reference point for uh, the weird of pretty much all kinds of horror that isn't supernatural monsters or gothic horror. Um, but there's a, you know, there's quite a few before him that I don't hear too often. And Blackwood is of the few that aren't mentioned as much. Um, of course you got Poe, but I, I don't hear, I don't hear too much about Blackwood being discussed. And I love the environmental horror because I mean, especially now, I mean, we're, yeah. we're, where haven't we invaded? Yeah, right. I mean, that's why I thought Eden was pretty sort of of its time. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it was, and I'm you know I'm a nature lover as well. I, I, this, this, and it's another reason I love doing what I do, sort of exercise wise. I love running in the hills and biking through. We got lovely countryside here. I went I went for a bike ride yesterday, and it's I just look around and think, holy shit, I'm so lucky to live here. You know. And I also bike. Uh, you'll you'll appreciate this. I bike past a place called Rockfield Studios, which is where some of the the greatest bands in history. Uh, I, I believe Queen recorded, 
Bohemian Rhapsody there or Motorhead have recorded there and you know it's like a real real famous recording studio here and it's, it's on my regular bike route it's cool yeah that, I remember that in the book um, and oh, I mean like Freddie Mercury he's he to me he's like the greatest singer ever he's not my favorite Mine, mine's Robert Plant I'm a British rock guy like my favorite yeah. bands are from Britain or yeah. great or the UK I don't I don't know if they're from the you, whole UK thing fucks me up <laughs> Yeah, that just yeah in, implies the same thing, really. Yeah, Led Zeppelin, The Who, um, and the Beatles are my three favorite. Queen as well. But uh, as far as the environmental stuff and riding bikes, you talk about it. It's pretty much like a theme with you in this one, where you prefer the trail runs as opposed to um, you know streets, pavement, asphalt, whatever. Yeah. I love that. I personally love hiking. Um, my wife and I really are fond of New Hampshire. Um, the, they have beautiful trails there. Is there anywhere that you particularly like going over um, other trails? Or is there? do you just kind of like all the areas you've been to? Is there something you pull away from each of that? Or is there just like one trail that, that really hits home with you in your heart? Um, well, again, I, the, the place I live, uh, my local town is called Abergavenny, and there's three mountains that surround it. Um, and I love exercising in those places. Uh, one is called the Blorange, which is, you know, the so whoever says nothing rhymes with orange, come to Abergavenny because the Blorange mountain is there. Uh, but, all, but probably one of my favorite places is Snowdon in North Wales. It's the tallest mountain in Wales. I've been up here. I've probably been up it six or seven times now, sometimes in races, sometimes just hiking, hiking it. Um, and that's an amazing place. It's never the same twice. You know, when you get to the top, you, if you're lucky, you'll see a view. If, if you're unlucky, you'll see this far in front of you with <laughs> rain and snow and hail. Um, it's just, uh, just an incredible place. But yeah, just locally, you know, I, I go in the hills locally and getting to know them quite well. That's that's awesome. Uh, I pulled us way off the path. Erica asked about eating, and I took over. I apologize for that. All you, Erica. That's totally fine. I was going to loop it back to be like, oh, well, talking about racing again. Um, so in Eden, <laughs> the characters are trying to get across the area as quickly as possible, um, but they've also got an underlying mission but I, i'm not going to talk about that because that yeah. could be a spoiler um but I, since you are so into physical fitness and racing and things like that i wanted to ask you if you were a character in this book and maybe you already did maybe you like did a character arc that was something that you would typically follow but if you didn't do that how do you think if you had the like option to race across Eden or not, like, would you do it as the first question? And then how do you think you would handle that race? Uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, so looking back on the book now, I think the, 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 the characters that do go into race across Eden are pretty, um, uh, it, it, you know, they decide to do something that's pretty not cool really because Eden's been left to nature and that's the whole reason it's there. So they're in a way, they're not likable characters to, begin with i sort of fell in love with all the all the characters in the book and each one's got a little bit of me in them i guess um so would i do it or not i i, I like to think no but given the opportunity 
probably because it's a challenge you know i i I like I like a challenge. I like something that, that that we like we talked about earlier. Something that maybe is a bit beyond my capabilities mentally. Um, like when I did my first when I signed up for my first Ironman, there was no way in my head I could do it. There's no fucking way I'm ever going to be able to do this race. So um, signing up for something that's just beyond your capabilities pushes you, and um, and I, I like that sort of challenge. So yeah, I probably I, I'd run across Eden. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just in the first few chapters where they're actually in there and they were talking about running for hours and hours, I was like, oh, man, I've done a 5K and like that, <laughs> that's pretty much where I top out for physical yeah, fitness. Yeah. Plus, I have asthma. So I feel like the second I crossed in there, I'd be in big trouble. Yeah. But it's a crazy, crazy thought. And like there's the characters are thrown so many speed bumps <laughs> as they're going yeah. through so i i just can't imagine every time something happened i was like oh yep i'd be out oh yeah, yeah. that too i nope i'm going the other way <laughs> yeah yeah so i want to switch things up to uh, your days with leisure um can you tell us about that just any any story you got because i'm fascinated ever brian keen uh, was the one that his podcast was the one that made me aware of it because I didn't, unlike a lot of my peers, um, when y'all came out in the early aughts, I, that was my high school years and I thought, uh, I was too dumb to read at that point because of the criteria, uh, to reading this book or that one. I just, I didn't, I didn't know that this world existed with all these amazing books of dark fiction. So I'm curious if, uh, you could tell us any story you want from that time period. Um, so Nature of Balance was my first novel with, um, so first of all, I, I, I should tell you that Keen and I have a, have an argument about how you pronounce leisure. Oh, oh it's leisure over here. It's leisure. So we've decided it's leisure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we pronounce okay. it. Okay. So I'll say leisure cause you know, you guys, um, stupid but, Americans. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Nature of Balance was my first novel with them, and it was also my first um, mainstream publication. So before Nature of Balance, I'd had stuff in pretty much exclusively in the indie press. So it was a, that was a massive step for me having having a book with a mass market publisher. Um, I mean, they didn't pay huge, <laughs> uh, but it was it was still. Um, I think that was about the time. It was a couple of years after Nature of Balance was out that I I, I became a full time writer. I think. Um, not because of that deal, I'll hasten to add, but because of other, other deals and other stuff that was happening. So I had, at the time, I had a good experience with Leisure. I had six books with them. Uh, the most popular was probably Berserk, because mm-hmm. he had a really kick-ass evil child cover. Um, I think that was my, I'm looking at my book covers on the wall, that was my second to last book with Leisure, I think. Uh, the book after that was called The Everlasting. And when Don, Don Doria, um at leisure showed me the cover for that i remember thinking oh it's a it's a skull with a snake and a uh, no it wasn't a snake a skull on a book with a candle and i said i said don my my cover for berserk was amazing the cover for this is the most cliched horror cover i've and he he sort of ah we know what we're doing tim and yeah the the book didn't sell well uh which shows some people judge a book by its cover but I had a generally okay experience with leisure, leisure, uh, leisure. Uh, <laughs> That's a good American accent. Leisure, yeah. 
Have you asked Keen to do his British accent? No. You, next time you speak to Keen, get him on your show, whatever. And I guarantee if you say to him, so Keen, do your Tim Levin accent, he'll say, hello, Mary Poppins. <laughs> That's a thing. Okay. Um, That's offensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a good mate, Keen. He's, I've known him from way back. Yeah. Um, yeah, my experience with Leisure was pretty good because I think by the time things started going tits up with them, I'd sort of left, I'd moved on and I was working with probably Bantam at the time, writing my dark fantasy stuff. Uh, so I wasn't so caught up in the in all the, the maelstrom of chaos that ended ended the publishing company. I wasn't so caught up in that, really. Probably a good thing. Um, I actually have on my desk a... Found, I always look when I go to uh, thrift stores or whatever. I look for authors that I talk to now to see if I could find any. And I came across a desk. Oh, wow. Only one time have I come across a Tim Levin book and I had to get it. Yeah, Dusk. Um, cool. Yeah, I, I saw that there's a sequel to it too. Don, uh, I really I, I love how you put your foot in all different types of subgenres. Yeah. You're like me, man, and a lot of people. You have a lot of different interests, and I'm yeah. sure that you get bored if you just wrote in one sandbox. I'll use, for lack of a better word, sandbox. Yeah, I guess um, everyone's different, though. I think you know some writers just write horror, uh, the similar sort of horror, all the time, mm -hmm. and it's because they they get fucking good at it and they love it and they're this <laughs> passion. I. I, like I said, right at the beginning, I'm a working writer. So a lot of, I have to balance, I really balance art versus commerce because writing is an art, but for me, it's also a business. So I, I need to, you know, think about what I'm writing next and whether mm -hmm. it's get me a deal, whether it's going to help me continue earn income and keep a roof over my family's head, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, there's so there's that aspect to it. There's also the, uh, like you said, the boredom aspect. I, I, I love writing. I loved writing Dusk and Dawn. Um, I always thought if if uh, I was going to write Midnight as well, and then if they wanted a fourth one, I could write Tea Time. Uh, so so I wrote Dusk and Dawn and four other uh, and four other fantasy novels, dark fantasy, and then. Um, and then what ha what happens is you 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 drift away from a publisher or they don't want to publish you anymore because your numbers aren't great. So then you go to another publisher and try something different, which I've done. You know I've done a couple of thrillers. I wrote The Hunt and The Family Man for a, for a publisher at HarperCollins over here. Um, and The Hunt is actually that's very much write what you know. That was something uh, that was a thriller I wrote, which I thought hell I'm doing all this endurance sport. I should write a novel about it. So the hunt is me being chased around Snowdonia, being shot at, basically. Um, it was almost oh, so close to being a movie as well. So close. Um, yeah, uh, like different sandboxes. I, I'm always writing different stuff. At the moment, I've got a horror novel that I'm tinkering with, trying to start TV, a potential TV pitch that I'm hoping to be pitching quite soon. Um, yeah. I, I I've eaten I, I I did an online course last week. I, I uh, me and a few other script writers taught a screenwriting uh, class, and it, it got me wanting to write a play because there was a couple of playwrights involved. I thought, oh hell, that would be a real challenge, you know, one one scene, one 
one, uh, you know, two or three characters, that'd be great fun. And the challenge as well, the challenge in writing different stuff for yourself as a writer keeps keeps it um, fresh. Because I, I sit here every day trying to write, and if it's something different and fresh, it, I just find it more exciting. I'll, I'm waffling an awful lot, so ask me another question. <laughs> no, I was, I was going to say, Erica, go, go on. I feel like I've been doing that too. I've developed that phrase here in... Uh, it's not just Welsh for from people in Scotland and uh, uh, England where they say waffling, and I find myself saying that phrase from time to time. And waffling, yeah. I don't know if anyone here knows what the fuck I'm talking about. It means talking bollocks. Yeah, that's no, a phrase probably. <laughs> I know that, but like at work, if I say it, I don't. I think they're just gonna be like, "Oh, I don't, where did that come from?" <laughs> <laughs> Eric, all you. Yeah, I talk in circles, so <laughs> I get it. Um, I had a couple of just kind of random questions. So you had mentioned the, a creepy cover that you have on your wall out of, and I know they change, but like the different countries that books are published in. So I'm sure you have like thousands of different covers, but yeah. do you have like a one specifically or a few that stand out above the rest that you're just like, wow, I love that cover. Do you know one that I thought was really effective even before it became a movie is The Silence? Just let me see if I can find it. Hold on. Still, oh, no, that's not it. Yeah, here it is. Keep talking. So, just, <laughs> just that is so, mm. so simple. Yep. But really, really effective, you know? Something Titan do is beautiful covers. Uh, so, I think Eden's a cracking cover as well. I could, have done, I could have done without the red, you know? It says from the from the best-selling author of Netflix is The Silence. I know that's a marketing thing. I'd have liked to have seen it without that. Yeah, the marketing elements are always a bummer, and you know, especially when they're stickers. I know that really drives everybody crazy. So I thought that was a sticker when I first saw my copy, and then I was like, no, it's actually on there. Heard it was a sticker because you could take it off, but it's not. It's uh, but you know, I I totally understand why they did that. And, uh, yeah. I made a tweet about that with I got Coraline and I I tagged Neil Gaiman in it, and I I said, Neil, is this uh does this warrant me to burn down this? store <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> yeah. just joking i didn't think he'd reply but he he was like no no don't do that <laughs> so oh he's he's such a nice guy i hope he doesn't think of some pyro <laughs> <laughs> but it does deserve burning down for a yeah, sticker. absolutely yeah it, especially it, if there's stickers that don't come off if there's stickers that you have to get your fingernails that like all the yeah off. oh that's fucking terrible yeah they did it to the front the in the spine and i believe the back so yeah that's not that's unforgivable I, <laughs> <laughs> it's overkill yeah. um one of my next questions so we talked about like a few of the projects that you had worked on and like one of them was firefly so when i saw that i was just like oh my gosh okay and i didn't know there was another series so now i have to go buy all of those um books, but yeah. yeah yeah with all of those projects is there like a certain movie or what was i gonna say basically like the the world that you would be interested in writing one of those movie tie-ins for that you haven't had a chance to work on yet? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I've been asked this before and I found it difficult. I've, I've been lucky enough, you know, I've written a Star Wars novel and an Alien novel. I guess uh, I'm a big John Wick fan. I'd love to write a John Wick novel. That would be good fun. Because John Wick's fantasy in my head, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a action thing, but it's slight 
it's a fantasy world. And all three films, I think the, the world building in John Wick is terrific. It's really subtle, but really well done. The whole assassin thing. It gets it's ridiculously over the top, the whole thing. But uh, where are the police? You know? <laughs> <laughs> where That's are the cops? The only cop you see knocks at John's door saying, hey, John, you working again? He said, yeah, I'm working. Okay, shut the door. That's the only time you see a cop in all in the whole trilogy, I think. Uh, Good point. A crooked cop. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. uh, maybe um, just off the top of my head now, maybe Mad Max. To write mm-hmm. a Mad Max novel would be a lot of fun. And there's rumours oh. of second. There's rumours of another film there, isn't there, that he's been working on. Dude, the trilogy. I'm talking just the video game. The I love Marky Mark. I, the movie was all right. I mean, eh. It's a movie, so it, it it was fun. But like, I love that video game trilogy, especially the third one, where he's. I don't know if any of you guys have played the third one, but he's just this. He's this. Matt, I'm gonna interrupt you. I think you're talking about Max Payne. Oh, I am. <laughs> oh right, I I, I was uh, so I'm not game. So I thought, oh right, there's a Mad Max trilogy on game. I didn't know that. Right, you're That's on a- hilarious. No, who gives a shit what I was about to say? Let's talk about let's talk about Mad Max. Hey, I got half the title right. <laughs> My apologies with that nonsense. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, where were we? Yeah, Mad Max. No, I'm sorry, I made everyone dumber. I nope. think that's a great choice, though, because it's 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 you know not that it's on the same level of Star Wars as far as universe goes, but it's it's one of those like it's the the whole world is you know post apocalyptic, so you don't have to necessarily follow Max. I mean, of course, you'd probably be inclined to, but um, but there's there's got to be so much more going on there that be yeah. would be interesting to explore. Yeah, right. You know, a similar movie, and it's specifically derived off of the first Mad Max, was um, Waterworld. I love it. I know a lot of people hate it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think it'd be fun to write a novel. There, I know there was one, but, I mean, it, you could do so much with that, too. It's basically Mad Max on water. Yeah, it was. I think that was probably the pitch. <laughs> that was the elevator pitch for that film. Yeah. God, I haven't thought about that film for a long time. I quite enjoyed that. A lot of people didn't like it, but it was good fun. I love Kevin Costner's great. I I really enjoyed Waterworld. Yeah, I've didn't... tweeted about that a few times, and uh, no one ever likes. It. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, uh, anything else on this? No, those are my last questions. Okay, um, how how about we jump to what are you reading? So at the moment I'm reading, um, so I don't reread very often, but I, I just, uh, for the world book day, a few days ago, I picked up an Ian Banks book, uh, the crow road, big Ian Banks fan. Um, I don't know if you guys have read him or, or any of his sci-fi. He's a fantastic writer, passed away a few years ago, very sadly. Um, so I'm reading that I'm reading a book on Vikings because it's, probably one of my top five tv series i fucking love vikings and i'm bereft because it's finished i'm so sad so i just uh, picked up um you know a, a factual book about the vikings just because i wanted to discover more about their world and um i'm uh, enjoying that and uh i'm also reading funnily enough <laughs> who'd have thought it, i'm reading a Trathlon training book uh <laughs> um yeah i pick up a lot of stuff like that now so yeah uh 
And next, I've got Stephen King's new book later to read, which I'll read later. Brandon read that. Brandon read that. Before. You know, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I love his. Um, as somebody, I'm sorry. sorry go ahead. No, you you finish. Sorry. Go. I was going to say, as somebody who you know, I, I'm perfectly willing to admit that his like post 2000 catalog is hit or miss. I yeah. really like this one. Oh, cool. Good. That's good to hear. I like his shorter novels now. Joyland, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Joyland uh, Joy was great, and yeah. uh, uh, the Colorado Kid I thought was great. You know, probably a novel that not not everyone would get away with writing, but I'm glad Stephen King could get away with writing it because mm -hmm. it's such a such a clever, just a clever book. I think. Yep. Now. Tim, I don't know if you read the back cover copy on later, but if you have not, I would recommend don't read it before you uh, dive right. into the book. Oh, okay. Right. That's good advice. I don't think, no, I haven't. No, it's just sitting on my bedside table. Yeah, it gives away something that, uh, you know, I, and I actually didn't read it either, but I noticed it after the fact. But right. it gives away something that I think that most King readers would prefer not to know going in. Right. Really, really wish you told me that, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan told me what it was, and now I can't. Uh, I can't leave my head. So yeah, good advice. I just figured you were never going to read it. So uh, <laughs> eventually, <laughs> uh, Erica, what are you reading? Yeah, so I'm trying to finish up Run, Walk, Crawl today, um, and then after that, I have a whole stack of honest review books that I need to look through and see what's next, so I don't know exactly what I'm going to be jumping into, but I'm hoping to find something probably closer to like the novella length and try to cruise through a couple things. Um, my attention span has been really, really bad recently. I don't know if it's just because we hit the year mark with COVID or what's going on, but I'm having trouble focusing on anything i'm reading so it's been a little slow <laughs> that's that's interesting erica because i that's that's also partly the reason i picked up the crow road to read because it's one of my favorite novels i've probably read it twice in the last 30 years and I, I i've been having a bit you know i've been sometimes finding reading quite difficult and i think the attention span thing's interesting so I, I i definitely air towards shorter books now yeah so that I can, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to later. Uh, you know, usually Stephen King's books are this thick. Now, now it's this thick, and oh, great! I'll whiz through that in a few days. Um, I, it might be a COVID thing, I think, but reading goes up and down with me like that as well. Some some weeks, you know, I got friends who read eighty or hundred books a year. I'm I'm lucky if I thirty, maybe forty. Um, yeah. I, I, so I've I, I've got. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have read this, and I picked this up, the passage. Oh, oh yeah. I've heard such good stuff about it, but look at it. <laughs> <laughs> For audio listeners, he, he just scrolled through a fucking tome. Yeah. It's good. And there's another two in the series that are just as big. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's the that's what puts me off. But, yeah, I, yeah. I will read it one day. Yeah, I, I like fantasy series. Some, some of them uh, – I shouldn't say like fan all fantasy series. Some of them are just – to cookie cutter, but the one that I want to get into that turns me off due to how many books are in the series is uh, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. Is yeah. it? Isn't there like twenty something? No, not. Is there? 20 I think it's fourteen, but 14, they're all okay. like anywhere from five hundred to a thousand pages. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that Brandon Sanderson wrote the last two. Uh, um, there's okay. There's one series that's twenty something books, like the 
flat world or the paper world? Oh, disc world. This Terry world, that's Pratchett's. it. Those that's books are a lot shorter, though. Those books are like under 200 pages. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's doable, then. And, and, uh, and Sorry, buddy. Uh, this... No, that's okay. I was going to say they're they're funny as hell, too. So they're very, like, in, it's not, I wouldn't call it traditional fantasy. Oh, um, not, oh, God, no. And and also, you don't need to read them all. You know, they're, you can read them all standalone. Okay, well, that actually sounds really intriguing, actually. Yeah. actually. Uh, Brendan, what are you reading? Uh, speaking of, you know, short attention spans and shorter books, I am reading, uh, I'm partway through Irish Gothic by Ronald Kelly. Um, it basically, uh, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, it's a bunch of short stories with kind of Celtic themes. Um, and I gotta say my favorite so far, and I can't wait to ask him if he has plans for this character, but he writes an Irish Sherlock Holmes who (laughs) basically hunts cryptids. Uh, specifically Irish Irish mythology cryptids, and it's it's funny. It's I, I want to read more about this character. Um, that sounds and cool. yeah, no, it's really cool. Uh, it's I'm funny. also reading The Devil's Mistress by uh, David Barclay, um, and this one's kind of a cool one. It takes place in the early 1700s, about ten or so years after the Salem witch trials, but in Virginia. And it follows some of those same themes, you know, um, but it really dives into the kind of mechanizations of um, the, I I guess, political or family reasons for accusing uh, women of of being witches, you know, focused around this one girl who's accused, um, but it's interesting. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it right now. Uh, so, I am just starting tonight, Anoka by Shane Hawk. Uh, it's just a collection. It's his first. It's a collection. It's indigenous horror. Really looking towards that. I've heard a lot of good things. Um, I'm finishing up the audio. This Tim, so this kind of goes with you two of not being able to read a whole lot. Um, for one reason or another, myself, uh, I just don't have the the free time for reading um so i listen to audiobooks i also do text-to-speech um i consider that reading uh and i can digest all the information just the same but i can tear through books now and i feel like brennan for once (laughs) um i'm also i just started yesterday the invention of sound by chuck polinick and uh the first time ever i had to put a book down to take a breather after 40 minutes of listening it's just it gets into some stuff and i'm like all right i'm gonna get back to this in a day or two <laughs> it's never happened to me i, yeah. I read that, the girl i read the that's girl your introduction store. to his work right that is my introduction to his work i've read the girl well, next door and i i tore through that so <laughs> i'm not gonna tell you that's a tame book but compared to some of his others um yeah. the subject material is a little bit lighter than usual <laughs> what What's his uh, most brutal book that you've read? Um, I mean, as far as like violence or whatever. Whatever struck you as the most brutal. Because it, depending on whether you want like, you know, body horror or um, I don't know, I, I, I'd say maybe snuff or haunted, um, possibly even rant. Um, and I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting, but. Yeah, not again. Not that invention of sound is light on on the squeamish <laughs> aspects, but 
it's definitely not top five <laughs> as far as, ooh, I need to put this down for a minute. Read his story, Guts, um, and then, you know, never sleep again. <laughs> or go in a pool. <laughs> oh, great. So, what he... I don't think we asked this because you ha- haven't even released... The book's not out yet, Run, Walk, Crawl. Is it? Yeah, it's our, it's our, um, so official release date was last Wednesday, but it, it, it's been available since like last weekend. So yeah, it's out, it's out and about now. Caught. I didn't do my homework. Son of a bitch, Patrick. Um, <laughs> so we're, <laughs> so your books, your books new, man. So this is a weird question to ask, but I mean, you're a writer, so I'm sure you're always working on something. What are you currently working on that you can talk about, if anything? Um, uh, so I'm, I'm sort of between novels. But I think I'm probably starting a new novel this week. Um, I've got a novel that I wrote during lockdown, which is out on submission now with publishers in the States. So my agents, you know, every time my phone rings, it's quick. Oh, no, it's not him. So <laughs> that's always a nervous time. Um, I really like this book. It's called The Last Storm. It's, it's sort of it's another it's a climate crisis novel in a way, but quite different from Eden. It's more of a epic sort of North American road novel in a way. I think it's pretty cool, but uh, I hope publishers do. Um, and it's, I'm sort of working on a few bits and pieces at the moment while I tap my fingers waiting for the, the response on this novel. Uh, I, I've My agent's got a new novella that I've just finished, which he's going to read and let me know what he thinks we're going to do with. So I haven't sold that one yet, but I'm waiting for him to get back to me. And like I said, hoping to pitch a TV series quite soon. And that's all been set that's up. Exciting. So, so for you, um, when you're about to start a new novel, do you get kind of butterflies in your stomach still? That excitement that the morning before Christmas or the morning of Christmas rather? Yeah, it's more nervousness than excitement with me, though. Usually, it's the blank page still uh, still is a challenge for me, to be honest. And and the old imposter syndrome, you know, uh, and and oh, is this going to be any good? It's going to be crap. Um, so uh, yeah, I do. I, I I like opening a file and typing the first few paragraphs. It's always a great feeling, but it's it's preceded by, can I really do this? <laughs> is this one going to work or not? So I'll probably, um, I think I'm ready to start that this week, probably. Um, Hopefully, yeah. Nice. Well, good luck. Uh, Where where can people follow you? Uh, So I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but I don't get it. So um, I'm trying to get my, my wife uses Instagram a lot, and I'm trying to get her to sort of coach me. So. Yeah, I'm on I'm on all social medias, but wish I wasn't. Wish I wasn't, but you, you sort of got to be really. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you got to be like a Stephen King level to not be on. <clears throat> to, excuse me, to not be on there. There's not many writers I know who aren't. Uh, some use it better than others. You, you know, you know who's n- never used not only social media, at least that I know of, but has done like a few interviews is Thomas Harris. He's my, he's one of my favorite authors. And, uh, I I tried good luck finding anything on him. I can't even find a documentary on him. Really? That's interesting. Uh, another one is, uh, another one, uh, 
someone who's a terrific writer and a nice guy, China Mabel. Um, China doesn't do any social media as far as I'm aware. And he's, uh, you know, he's written some amazing books. I love to, well, I sort of emailed with China on and off, but we've never met. We never seem to cross paths, unfortunately. Mm. Well, maybe that's something to do when the world's back on its feet with vaccines, man. Yeah, let's hope, eh? The summer's going to rock, isn't it? This, <laughs> hopefully. I, I hope so. I was hoping to go to Scares I Care this year or Christopher Golden's um, Merrimack Valley Book Festival to, yeah. to actually meet Erica Brennan and quite a few others and record a live episode, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I know Chris has passed over Merrimack to... Um, I, I'm not sure he's actually organizing that anymore. Um, oh, I mean, Chris and I are like brothers. We're good. We've written loads of novels together, and we're good mates. I'm, I'm not sure what's happening this year. I'll, I'll, I'll need to find out from him. But I, I you know, I think if it's going to happen this year, it probably will. I, I think, you know, midsummer the vaccine program is going to be. I don't know how it's going over there. I mean, it's going fairly well here. I think, um, numbers wise, you know. So I. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we should. This could be another podcast, couldn't it? Let's talk about the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of which, we definitely want you to come back whenever you'd like. Um, it, do you have any final thoughts? Any final comments? Um, no, not really. I think we covered a lot. We could cover a lot more. But, um, yeah, I hope. So Run, Walk, Crawl is my first nonfiction. And it's my first self-published paperback. I've self-published a few e-books on Amazon. Um but I'm it's uh, and self-publishing is a endurance event in itself I've found <laughs> so but I've enjoyed it it's been a good learning process and um and I'm going to be doing uh so I just bought one of these and I'm going to be doing a oh I'm going to be doing an audio, audio version of it with a friend who's going to help me mixing it all and everything so because I had quite a few people I don't listen to audiobooks myself but um I don't know why I've just never, never really tried them. But I had quite a few people saying to me, "Oh my God, is it going to be an audio book?" And I was like, "No, I don't think so." And then I thought about it, and why the hell not? You know, I'm just going to do it myself and get it mixed, and yeah, might be a, I, a whole new world. I tell you what, man, I I didn't really listen to him until Laird Barron uh, when we had him on earlier this year. He was pretty much the first audio book that I heard, Blood Standard. The first in his Isaiah Coleridge uh, trilogy. I don't know if it's a series. Uh, I think it is a series. Oh, it's a trilogy. Trilogy is a series, right? It's three, three books in a row. <laughs> yes, you're the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Okay. Um, I lo- I'm I'm hooked. Yeah. I'm hooked on audiobooks. Yeah. But uh, Erica, you got any final words or comments or questions? Well, I guess one last thing now with the talk of doing an audiobook. Um, I love when authors read their own books. I think that's incredible, and especially with nonfiction, because you can like really hear your yeah. own. Tone, and I think that really makes nonfiction come to life more than you know yeah. it would typically just reading it or having someone random voice. That's what I was thinking. You know, I, I it did cross my mind trying to get a audiobook. Um, uh, reader to to do it for me but then it just it would have felt a bit wrong mm-hmm. you know so i i thought it either needs to be me doing it or because a lot of friends that read read the book tell me they read it in my voice which which in fiction is off-putting but for non-fiction it's perfect really so i so i think it just you know uh, it was either me doing it or nobody so i've taken the plunge 
I'm just going to need a quiet house and that doesn't happen. How the hell am I going <laughs> to read this book in my house with a barking dog and my wife working at home, my two kids at home? So, yeah, I'm going to have to pick my times. I don't know. Just just curse at the dog, like you said, and it will be like uh, breaks in between chapters. <laughs> yeah. Shut the fuck up, Lou. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> so you held up a Blue Yeti microphone. Was that it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. I've already plugged it in once and tried it. And yeah, I, I realize I'm going to have to. I mean, it's so sensitive, picking up sound from all over the place. So, I want to get a filter, a pop filter. Right. Yeah. I noticed you had that. Yeah. I might. They're, they're cheap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It just, you know, does what it says. It mm. uh, filters out the pops. Right. Okay. Uh, um, Brennan, any final words, thoughts, or comments? No, I would just say uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to sit down with us on a Sunday afternoon for you and uh, for putting up with our schedule mishaps. We've been doing <laughs> this for a year, and at this point, I think we have to accept we are not going to figure out how to schedule people in different time zones, <laughs> never mind countries. Well, officially, we're starting 20 minutes ago, so um, <laughs> so I've actually gained an hour this afternoon. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> Always with the positive. Brilliant. Yeah. No, it's been a pleasure, guys. I've had really good fun. And uh, thank thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's it's been an honor. Thank you. It's it's been awesome. Uh, I uh, you know at least mentally in my head, I had a few off. Well, a lot of authors. I'm like one day <laughs> when when we got a few episodes, I like that person. You're one of them. I mean, you're you're you've got plenty of books to choose from that are fucking great. So um, I yeah, I do hope you come up with uh, that Han Solo erotica book though. Him and <laughs> Do you think it would be Han and Chewy? I don't know. Bestiality is a thing for some folks. Not going <laughs> to knock their kink. It's not for me, but uh, hey, if you wrote it, I'll read it. <laughs> uh, epi- the next episode that follows this is Ron Kelly. So that would be episode 78, where we talk about Undertaker's Moon, as well as Irish Gothic and probably a whole lot of other Southern fried horror. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Tim Levin, sir, thank you for joining us. It's been a uh, pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. Erica, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And Brennan, thank you for being my co-pilot through all this, my friend. Has it been a pleasure? It's It's been pleasurable. <laughs> I, f- I feel like I'm, I'm you know, I, why did I repeat myself? I don't like that. I, I, <laughs> if, I had an, if I had an editor, I would have cut the, uh, two of those pleasures, but... You have many podcasts to choose from. Thank you for listening to Dead Headspace. Stay tuned for episode 78 with Ronald Kelly next Monday. Have a lovely time, everyone. You are now leaving Dead Headspace. My only question, I, I assume it's a it's it's not a PG certificate for podcast. You know we can swear if we need to. Yep. Yeah. Good. <laughs> need to want to yeah. just haven't done it in a while. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, I don't. I do it fairly frequently. So. <laughs> Especially with my dog. I got an old dog. He's um, he's lovely, but he's going to he's like going a bit senile, and and uh, they bark, and he's going a bit deaf, and it's we love him, but it's shut the fuck up. <laughs> Bless him. I did, you might hear that in the background. I do it with my cat 
we're walking downstairs in the morning and uh she likes to stop right where my feet are above the very top step of the stairs. Oh. I'll, I'll try and kill you. You fucking bitch. <laughs> that's, why you can't have, that's why you shouldn't have cats. <laughs> Is it the same color as your stair treads? It's like camouflage trip hazard, yeah? <laughs> uh, actually, she's gray, and yeah, the it, it's close. It's very close, and it's dark out, so it's... Yeah. And she knows that you can't no. see her. Yeah, 